welcome to the conversation. And the conversation in the country, unfortunately, has been hijacked by the right wing, as it often is. Talk about something called critical race theory and how apparently all of our schools, it's an epidemic in Oklahoma, apparently, are being taught this theory. And part of this dangerous theory is that that black folks might have been discriminated against in this country at some point. No, do not teach that in the schools, that can't be true. Uh, they say with a straight face. All right, we're gonna bring on an expert here to talk about it. Eric Ward is the executive director of the Western States and senior fellow with the Southern Poverty Law Center. Eric, welcome. Such a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, uh, No problem. So Eric, just real quick, what is critical race theory and are high schools all across the country actually teaching it? It's not being taught in in high school. It's barely being taught in law schools around the country. Critical race theory is academic discourse that largely takes place within the legal educational system in our country. It is legal scholars who are basically arguing that slavery and the legacy of slavery and the systemic racism that derives from that historic system still has an impact on law. And that simply those involved in the legal process need to be aware of that and to take that into account when making legal decisions. Not very radical, but we have to understand that the Republican Party is desperate in this moment, desperate to hold together its base and desperate to try to build some type of opposition as it leads into the midterm elections. That's really what critical race theory is. It's a QAnon version 3.0. Yeah, there are attacks against it are that certainly. So, but they have been taking action in Oklahoma on the 100th anniversary or very close to the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre where successful African American business people were murdered. By a white mob, they decided to pass a law saying you can't teach about racism in America. A curious way to celebrate that landmark. And so now the Republicans say, no, 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 we're not saying you can't teach racism. We just don't want you to talk about it. No, but like Eric, help me out. What what are these bills saying? I mean, what what according to these bills, what can we teach and not teach? Yeah, according to these bills, one cannot teach critical race theory. Or as the far right has framed it, one cannot teach that racism in America is an original sin. But let's be clear, this is part of a national campaign, right? I think about Christopher Rufo, who is a leading figure at the Manhattan Institute, who has been pushing this campaign since September. Uh, has uh, spoken to other think tanks such as the Heritage Foundation and others. And in his take uh, on public social media was simply that the purpose of attacking critical race theory was to grab the brand and then to use it as an umbrella term for any conversation on race equity in America. In short, the attack on critical race theory is an attempt to chill the national dialogue on racial equity that has been created by the Black Lives Matters protest over the last years. There has been legislation that has been passed around the country at local and national levels. But the language of the bills are less important than the goal of the legislation, which is to tell people 
that having discussions on systemic racism or racial discrimination is wrong. It flies in the face of nearly everyone across the political spectrum. But as I said before, it's a conspiracy. And the goal of the conspiracy right, is to try to divide the American public to use critical race theory, right? A very narrow discourse on race equity is a way of attempting to defund public education, right? To continue to try to other progressive and liberal forces in the United States. So that's why we bring on experts, because you stated that in a very sophisticated way and explained the origins of it. I would explain it in a simpler way. It's dog whistles. We've had it before, yes. and so it was states' rights, which wasn't really about the right of a state to pass pro-marijuana laws. States' rights was a euphemism for let us discriminate against black people in the South. And sure. then, then it was talk of welfare queens, and they didn't mean the bankers that took trillions of dollars from the Federal Reserve and the Treasury. They meant black folks as always, right? Then Donald Trump right. put away the dog whistle and he came out with a human whistle. It just started attacking minorities of all sorts. And and this is somewhere between a human and a dog whistle. And 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 you know, to your point, Eric, it was it's Oklahoma always goes first, which is kind of hilarious because none of this is happening in Oklahoma, which actually proves your point perfectly. They were also one of the first states to pass anti-Sharia laws. As if they were about to get taken over by the Islamic Caliphate, right? So when you see That's that, right. you see that this is more not addressing an imminent threat, even if they thought it was a threat, right? But more about the propaganda that they want to put out there. That's exactly right. I mean, what you describe is what we're seeing is just another version of the big lie. And we've seen it with QAnon. We've seen it around COVID-19. We saw it with the othering and the dehumanization of refugees and Muslims. And we saw it used against immigrant kids. You almost, you almost want to roll your eyes and, and, and to laugh it off as just another strange conspiracy by those seeking to attack democracy and the idea of an inclusive America. But in truth, we also have to understand and take this seriously. Because most of these big lies have led to very real physical attacks in this country. If we're talking about COVID, if we remember in the early days of the right wing noise machine and its use and misuse around COVID, it led to an attempted bombing of a Jewish hospital in Kansas City and the attempted bombing of elder care home in Massachusetts. We saw this around the attacks on immigrants and refugees. It led to the attempted bombing of a Jewish philanthropist by the name of George Soros and an attack on a Jewish synagogue at the Tree of Life in Pittsburgh. We should understand that this rhetoric and irresponsible behavior by elected officials always leads to an expression of violence. And that's why the rest of us have to use our voices to speak out right now and to demand that elected officials step away from what is merely a conspiracy theory. There is no threat around critical race theory. The only threat right, are the continual attacks by right wing extremists who have used violence to attack police officers, to attack marginalized communities and to attack our government institutions. That's where the real threat is. 
This yeah. is a distraction, but one we need to pay attention to. So Eric, they, their followers don't even know what critical race theory is. That's why I asked you what it was in the beginning. They have no idea. What they interpret that to mean is, are we gonna talk about how we discriminate against black folks? We don't want that in our history books. But wait a minute, Eric, aren't these the same folks saying we shouldn't take down the statues of the Confederate generals because we don't want to erase history? And here they are literally trying to erase history. Yes, I mean, what we are seeing is misinformation and disinformation that seeks to undercut one of the critical components of a society, which is historical memory. What we are seeing is that those who are attacking critical race theory, in order to use it as an umbrella, right? The, the goal is to manipulate us into believing that every uncomfortable conversation around race in America is somehow this idea of critical race theory. We should understand though, that this is a double standard by these authoritarians, by those opposed to democracy. In one hand, they are holding up the First Amendment, but in reality, they're crushing it behind their backs. This is similar to what we saw after Brown versus the Board of Education in the 1950s, following the end of legal segregation by court order in the United States. What we saw was the birth of something called the Citizens Councils, also known as the White Citizens Councils. This was a light version of the Klan, right, that sought to use the power of political of, of politics and policy in order to chill the civil rights advocacy that was happening in the country. This is a similar attempt to chill the conversation on race equity, one that the majority of Americans want in this country. Look, let's be clear. More white Americans today, not just by whole number, but by percentage, are more supportive of Black Lives Matters in this country, right? Than were ever supportive of Martin Luther King Jr. in his lifetime. The truth is, is the majority of us want to have a conversation around race and racism so that we can move the country forward together. This is just an attempt to undermine that progress, and it's an attempt to distract. So we can't be gullible in this moment. We have to know better and we have to understand that looking at a few exaggerations that happen around race equity are not a reason to end the conversation on race equity. It is a purpose for us to get stronger in that conversation and attacks on critical race theory simply don't allow that to happen. Yeah, I just saw a scary piece of the future. I mean, the right wing now is so radical that as you were talking about the Klan and how they tried to soften it with the White Citizens Council, which wasn't softening you very much at all. Um, I thought, oh my God, I think they're gonna come back and try to rebrand the Klan, because they're rewriting all the history. I mean, if you go online, they will rewrite anything now. It's wall to wall propaganda. And so wait for it, unfortunately. And by the way, there's a real problem in this country, 60% of conservatives said that it's a bigger problem to see where discrimination does to see discrimination where they think it doesn't exist than racism itself. And so That's we are a very divided country and we literally we can't even see and hear and understand one another and and it's going to take a while to resolve. But Eric, thank you for fighting for what you do and thank you for coming on here and try to shed some light on the reality. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.
All right, back on the conversation on the TYT network. In Manhattan, we've got a fascinating district attorney race. They're gonna be replacing Cyrus Vance, who's been around a long time. They've got Donald Trump's tax case that's coming up. Uh, let alone uh, police reform, prosecutorial reform. It's a very interesting, very important race. And we have one of the candidates with us. Uh, Tahini Abushi is a civil rights attorney and now candidate for a Manhattan district attorney. Uh, Tahani, uh, great to have you with us. Um, great to be here, thanks, Jink. No problem, all right, so you've been endorsed by uh, Snoop Dogg, obviously, Kyrie Irving, equally obvious. Uh, Cynthia Nixon, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders, but uh, most importantly, Jamal Bowman uh, and Rashida Tlaib. So clearly you're the progressive candidate in the race. Is this race, first of all, breaking down into progressive versus conservative Democrat as most races do? I don't think so. I think it's for criminal justice reform, it's a question about uh, tough on crime response versus comprehensive and actual addressing root causes of crimes. And so you'll see some people kind of maneuver across that spectrum depending on their audience. And so I always say it's not enough to just say you're progressive, you have to have that lived experience and you have to be dedicated to actual justice um, as opposed to catering to whatever group that you might be speaking with. Right, now you are, um, again, it appears from your record and certainly your endorsements and your platform very progressive and actually interested in reform. So, but when you talk about that reform, it is so significant that it makes me think, really, can we do this in, in Manhattan? Uh, okay, so um, talk to me about what kind of reform you wanna do um, just at the basic level for prosecutors, how you prosecute cases. So first and foremost, we have to understand that our goal has to move away from the automation of the system of just this knee jerk after the fact prosecute and instead respond. And that means addressing the root causes of crimes, making sure we have as many tools in the toolbox, restorative justice, alternatives to incarceration, but also making sure that we are um, addressing the racial disparities. Majority of arrests and prosecutions in Manhattan are of people of color, particularly the black and Latino community. And so when we talk about public safety, it has to come from that perspective. And that includes police accountability. And so I started off with a comprehensive declination and alternatives to incarceration policy, which will do exactly that. It'll address um, the racial disparities in policing and prosecution. It'll ensure that we move away from prosecuting social inequities like substance use disorder, homelessness and poverty, so that we actually have resources to dedicate to fighting violent crime and holding those parts um, accountable. Um, while making sure that we get people the resources they need to actually rehabilitate and correct course. How does that work, right? So let's say, let's take sex work as an example or drug use. Um, now there are drugs that are still illegal obviously in New, in New York uh, and sex work is illegal. So normally they would just be arrested and then tried and then sent to jail and go through that process. How would it work under uh, your proposals? So it's actually not how the process works now between sex work and recreational use of drug possession or sale. What ends up happening is these are low level offenses. They result in pleas, oftentimes coerced. They get fines and fees attached to it and then that's it. There's no impact on public safety. There's no measurement of rehabilitation, particularly with 
drug use. And this is significant because this is a public health perspective that needs a public health response. And so we should encourage drug treatment programs, counselors, and programs that can get people on their feet as opposed to dumping hundreds of thousands of dollars um, for easy convictions. Um, and same thing with sex work. Uh, there often aren't any trials. Um, and instead, people are tagged with these criminal records, and it has allowed for some serious abuses from the NYPD vice unit as well in furtherance of sex work, uh, pursuing and criminalizing sex work. And so we are moving towards full decriminalization of sex work, not the Nordic model, but one that actually encompasses the full decriminalization. And we're also going to pull back um, and decline to prosecute the recreational amounts of drug possession and sale because this is a public health issue and one that prosecuting has not made a dent on. Well, that last part is inarguable. So I don't really know what conservatives say, including within the Democratic Party, other than, I don't know, doesn't it feel good to do some sort of punishment, even if it doesn't work? Um, and I would answer, no, it doesn't feel good. Um, so uh, you've also decided that you're gonna try to hold police accountable. How would you do that? Um, well, one, you have to not be afraid to do that. As a civil rights attorney, part of my work um, was to do exactly that, whether it was through discipline, termination, or criminal charges for their actions. Um, we got it done. And so we have to establish the Manhattan District Attorney's Office as independent from the NYPD for officers that engage in the criminal conduct, um, that abuse their power. Uh, they must be held accountable. And I'm not just talking about put officers who lie on a list and make it available for the defense. I'm talking about actually prosecuting officers for engaging in perjury, planting evidence, um, criminal use of force. Uh, and making sure that we don't keep them on the force. Because if the bad apples are the problems, then they shouldn't be on the force. You've accused others of using police union talking points against you. Um, so uh, have you noticed uh, those same uh, police unions uh, aggressively uh, fighting uh, against your candidacy? I mean, I imagine they are, but I don't know that you've actually seen it. I don't know what form it takes, that's why I ask. No, it comes in the form of supporting other candidates and pushing out rhetoric that's fear, based on complete fear mongering, not facts. Um, and it's taken advantage of people's uncertainties and concerns, um, especially coming out of a pandemic, right? And so when we talk about wanting real public safety or accountability, it goes back to, well, the sky will fall if we don't continue to pump billions of dollars into our law enforcement agencies. Um, and if we come up with alternatives to ensure that we can actually not only hold police accountable, but address crime, um, there's also a panic from the police unions. And I think that discourse has permeated all the races beyond just the Manhattan DA's race, but into our mayoral race and our city council races. And so that really is the tug of war or one of them at least that's going on in our races. Um, do we keep pumping billions of dollars between police prosecuting and incarceration and still be told that crime is rising? Or do we actually start addressing the root causes of crimes and actually start alleviating those issues? Um, and that's what this is about. No more knee jerk reactions, no more fear mongering, no more racist policies, let's actually start including all communities in the conversation about public safety. So Tahani, I see you're doing really well in the polls and they're worried about you, your opponents spending tons of money. So some of that money might be coming from the police union and conservatives, etc. But you're also planning to take on major banks and corporations. And in Manhattan, that'll buy you a lot of enemies. 
So what kind of corporate malfeasance were you thinking of going after? Um, all of them, I think we're way too easy on white collar crime, um, whether it's wage theft, Ponzi schemes, unsafe working conditions, um, mortgage fraud uh, that brought our country to its knees. I think that um, oftentimes some might think that white collar crimes are victimless crimes, but that's absolutely not true. Um, these big banks, these big corporations, Wall Street, has, uh, they have left the trail of victims that have been left to fend for themselves and fight for justice on their own. Uh, and this is why having somebody that is independent from the, the power structure, that is gonna be fearless in the face of that power and doesn't owe anybody any favors is going to be paramount to ensuring that accountability. Damn straight. Um, okay, so uh, I have a theory that I want to run by you, Tani. That uh, Bernie Madoff was the okay. only guy who went to prison uh, for financial fraud because uh, he made the mistake of robbing rich people. Um, and so, will you be going after people who actually rob middle class and poor people? Absolutely, whether it's abusive landlords, abusive employers, uh, those who try to cut corners, those who take advantage of our workers, our immigrant community, um, undocumented or not. I mean, this is the this is the voice and the perspective that I've been trying to bring to this race. And one of the reasons why I even jumped into this race um, is because the conversation when it comes time to the district attorney is always centered around making the safe and comfortable more safe and comfortable. And it leaves out the overwhelming majority of people who um, are being taken advantage of and are victims of crimes. And so yes, I have said from day one on my campaign, we will put no badge or bank account above the law. Okay, uh, well there is one famous, uh, at least former New Yorker uh, that it has a case in front of the Manhattan District Attorney, um, and that is Donald Trump. Um, so I don't know that you're allowed to comment on it because it's the case that's pending. Um, but have you looked at any of the material? I mean, I've looked at it in terms of like seeing the, the newspaper reports on it, etc. Do you have you formed an opinion on it? Do you have a stance on it? I think yeah, I have the same information that's available to the public as a civilian. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that, of what's behind the investigation once I assume office. And I think for me, it's extremely important to, again, have somebody independent that doesn't have a preconceived position on this, but will not buckle under the pressure to look the other way or shut down the investigation. We'll be inheriting a lot of cases in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, and we have to have that neutral system. And I'll say this, Jenk, you know, what people are concerned about is um, this is an opportunity to show whether we really have one system that centers justice around people and is fair and is equitable, or is this gonna be one that shows its special favors. Um, and we know that here, particularly at the Manhattan DA's office, there's been issues, conflicts of interest with defense attorneys that have appeared before the DA and have donated to his campaigns. Um, powerful and privileged folks who have been given uh, quite a bit of leniency uh, in their cases. And so there's great concern surrounding um, not only Trump's case, but how the DA's office will handle these high profile type cases. So we must ensure and show the public that we will be neutral, we will be independent, and we will center our decision around justice. Yeah, if, if uh, folks at home don't know, uh, it looked like Donald Trump and Harvey Weinstein got a free ride earlier uh, in the Manhattan DA's office. That's my opinion, not the honeys, okay? Uh, it doesn't look like you're 
they're gonna get a free ride under Tahani. Okay, so let's just keep it real. No. <laughs> so uh, the website is tahaniforda.com. We'll have the links down below on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, you can check it out for yourself. Uh, thank you so much for um, running. We appreciate it and thank you for joining us. Absolutely, thank you so much, Jane. Have a good night.